0: If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew 20. If you're online, or if you don't have a Bible today, we'll have the words on the screen for you. But Matthew chapter 20, we're going to read from there, and then we're going to be in a few places today. Um, just just looking at this. This is the title. If you're taking notes and you want to put a title down, it is serving, serving like Jesus, serving like Jesus. Say with me. Say serving like Jesus. Serving like Jesus. Matthew 20. We'll pick it up in 25. It says, but Jesus called them to himself and he said, you know that the Gentiles, the rulers of the Gentiles, they lord it over them. And those that are, that are great exercise authority over them, yet it's not going to be so with you. Whoever desires to become great among you, let him be servant. Well, that's kind of the antithesis of what great seems like in their world, right? And he says, and whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. That's a powerful passage, and I, I would just, I would encourage you to take some time this week Kind of highlight it, go back and read through that because in just a few moments, I can't get to all that that is it encompasses but but there's a lot said there, and I think it's important that we understand first of all, first of all that Jesus came to serve fallen humanity that uh, we we know the story you don't have to have ever been to church, and you probably know the story of Adam and Eve right that that Eve ate of the fruit, and then Adam ate also, and, and what happened was sin came upon all of humanity throughout generations. And so now, uh, nobody really has to teach you how to sin. It's kind of innate. I think about how the, our, our little uh, granddaughter, Olivia, she's approaching a year old, maybe 11 months, I'm thinking. She's kind of snoozing right now, but, but she's learning how to walk. And so you know how it is with kids when they learn to talk. You'll get them to say "mama" or "dada" or something. You'll do your best to try to get those words. In fact, parents may even compete on are they going to say "dada" first or and usually it's "dada," right? But 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 they're trying to get those words out. It's easier for them to say that, by the way. It's not because any other reason, I don't think. But and then they're trying to walk. And Olivia, she's trying to learn to walk, and she's got this thing where she she like you got her by the hand. You're trying to pull away, and she's just holding tighter. You know, she's doing that thing. Every once in a while, she'll make three steps. Everybody's oh, and trying, they'll try will pick her up and try to get her to walk. What are they doing? They're trying to teach her to walk because they know you need to know how to do that in life, and they're trying to help her to do that. One day, she'll probably tell a lie. You know how kids do. Your kids are so good, and they're just walking along all of a sudden, like, boom, this is the biggest, fattest lie you've ever heard. Like, where did they get that? You didn't spend time. This is how you lie. Here, I'm going to help you. You didn't do any of that. They just did it on their own. Because the Bible says this, none of us, none of us are righteous, no, not one, right? That, that, that we all fall short of the glory of God, that, that, that sin is a reality in our world, and it entered through Adam and Eve. And God said, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to change that. I'm going to send my only son to come. And so the big picture of how, the, how the humanity was served is that Jesus came. He was born Right, suffered a horrible death, hung on a cross, spear in his side, crown of thorns, placed in a borrowed tomb, descended, the word says this in Ephesians 4, descended in the lower parts of the earth, set captivity free. He ascended into the heavens and seated at the right hand of the Father, ever making intercession for us. That's powerful right there. That's the gospel. Yes, right? We all say yes to that. That's that's the big picture of Jesus serving humanity. In fact, when the early church fathers looking at that, they couldn't figure out like, like who Jesus is because they're trying to figure out. His disciples had the problem. They're looking at him. Is he man or is he God? He's on that ship. He stops, comes out and he stops the storm. They, they said this, that they've never seen a man where the wind and waves. What manner of man is this? That even the winds and the waves obey him. They never, this is, right? You may have been, you've been with people that not every day you see somebody go out and stop the storm. And they're like, who is this? What manner, that's that's the language used, what manner of man is this? Because he's not like any other man we've ever seen. And the struggle with, is he God or is he man? The early church fathers said, we don't have a good word for that, so we're going to make one, so we're going to take two Greek words and put, merge them together, theos, meaning God, and anthropos, meaning man, and they called him the theanthropos. He's the God-man, 100% God, 100% man, and he came to serve. And, and when, when we get around our world, our world kind of knows Jesus in his birth and in his death and resurrection. They know it because there's holidays marking that. Won't be too long. Some people already, I saw somebody on Facebook the other day said, I just really want to put up my Christmas tree. Right? They'll spend time celebrating. The birth of Christ gets more holiday time than any other holiday. You know that, right? I just illustrate how people already want to embrace it at least a month out of the year. It's now six weeks to two months. Like after they get through October, it's like, let's go. By the way, I'm not against that. I'm just saying that, that the birth of Christ, here's what they'll do when the birth of Christ, Christmas comes. They'll line up. I'll walk out of the doors here on the evening, on a Friday night, and there'll be cars lined all the way from the mall back here. That didn't happen any other time of the year. Right? People will give gifts like crazy. That didn't happen like that any other time of the year. We'll put lights up and we'll decorate. No other time of the year does it happen like it happens. Because our world understands and you say, Pastor, they're not always celebrating Christmas like the birth of Christ. I get it, but that's what it's about. And and that gets re- recognition. And his death and resurrection, Easter. Folks celebrate Easter. Not everybody, but a whole lot of people spends time celebrating Easter. What are you saying? I'm saying that that the birth and the death and, and, and resurrection of Christ gets some attention. But sometimes... That middle part called the life, and I didn't mention it earlier, on purpose, sometimes our world understands nothing about the life of Jesus. All they know is he was born, and then he left this earth. And there's a bunch of strange people that go to a box on the side of the road and and worship him like we do, right? They don't know. In our world today, people don't know a difference between going to a church. It's no different to them if they went to a Buddhist temple or a Muslim mosque or a Jewish synagogue. They don't know what church is. Sad. But sad truth. Now, now, just so I can help you, his life was so important. And it could have been, could have been, I think there's a lot of reasons why it couldn't happen besides this. But, but it could have been Jesus could have been born, hung out in some desert area for a long time, had never seen anybody, and then showed up one day, said, I'm the Messiah, tear this temple down, I'll rebuild it. And they would have still put him, right, and he still would have ended up maybe the same place. But there's a lot of reasons, prophetic implications or reasons why he had to live. But I'm just saying, his life was on, a, on purpose for you and I. Right? We, we know what the first Adam did. First Adam made some wrong choices and sinned. Second Adam comes, and Jesus, he lives the sinless life. For you and I, Jesus is the picture of the life that God has for us. Here's, here's a word that we don't use so much in our world anymore, Christ Likeness Jesus demonstrates what the life that you and I could live looks like, that we can have a christ like life in fact, in fact if you could just if you could just understand this that romans eight twenty nine says here 's what God is doing he 's conforming us to the image of his son second adam or first adam tendencies. We already have those. We're born with those. But he wants us to become like the second Adam, Jesus Christ, that we live in a, in a position in a place that we can make right choices and you can make right decisions. Anybody want to make right decisions? Say yes. Yeah, that we, we can make those. And, and so it is that, that it could be very easy for us to look at Jesus and say, Jesus, you came and you did the high lofty thing. Thank you. And miss out the point that Jesus lived a life that I think one of the great reasons that his life is given to us and recorded is so that we can see a model of serving. Jesus served people. Remember that time when he was at the wedding in Cana of Galilee? And he's there, and, and um, anybody watch The Chosen? This scene, you can go to YouTube, find The Chosen, does a great, great... Um, exhibits this scene very well from scripture, this this narrative, where Jesus is at the wedding and his mom's there, and they run out of wine and they come to she comes to Jesus and she knows who Jesus is, right? The other people they don't know who Jesus is, but she knows who Jesus is. And she comes to Jesus and she said, Do something about this. You could I know you can fix it. I know you can do it. And he's like, This is me saying this. Mom, it's not my time. And in in fact um, sometimes he'll use this terminology, woman, <laughs> it's not my time. In other words, the man of Jesus, the humanity, you see it there like, Mom, what are you trying to do? But yet, right, the, the anthropos, the man Christ Jesus, and then you see the theos, the God Christ Jesus, who, who takes the water and turns it into wine because he has the power to do that serving those people there at that wedding when he gets down to wash his disciples' feet, serving them. How, how, and they've watched who he is. They, they've seen what he did out there in the storm. They've seen blind eyes open. They've seen him heal people that couldn't walk. They've seen him uh, uh, at Gadara when the man was full of demons and setting, him getting set free. They've, they've got to witness this, and now he's coming before them and going to wash their feet. And they're like, Peter's like, wait, you can't do that to me. Jesus serving. It's the children coming to him. His disciples are like, "Hey, hey, you pesky kids! This guy's a pretty important guy. You need to get away." Just give me a little Greek there. You pesky kids, get on out of here. Leave him alone. And Jesus says, "No, no, permit them to come to me." And then he blesses them. That's Jesus serving so many pictures, over 40 recorded miracles in the gospel of Jesus meeting people where they're at and serving them. That didn't include all the other things that he did. In fact, John said it like this, that, that if, you, if you could write the books, the books couldn't contain all of the ways that Jesus encountered people. Well, why did he have to encounter people? so that it would be an example for you and I. The high and lofty thing that we needed so much to give his life as a ransom for many, so important, but he also illustrates for us in his word serving in one-on-one, one-on-one encounters. Jesus gave us a picture of what serving looks like. He touched the untouchable with his life. And so I'm going to take you through three stories, three true stories of Jesus interacting I'm going to start with this point. So if you're taking notes, you can just jot this down. This is where it starts. Jesus served the marginalized. Everybody say marginalized. And, and by the way, if you are going to do ministry, if you're going to serve others, you've got to touch the marginalized too. And uh, when I was a kid, margin meant this. It still does to me. It's I mean, there's there's more than one definition of this word, but margin meant the little borders on the side of the lined paper. You know what I'm talking about? And in the margin, sometimes if you're writing something, you would write in the middle, and you'd collect your thoughts, and then over in the margin, you'd scribble a little something. I mean, it may not have been legible. If it's me, it wasn't legible to anybody else. And sometimes I had problems reading what I what I wrote in the margin. Sometimes, while I'm, I'm just a number or a phrase or That story or whatever I'd put in the margin didn't mean anything at all to anybody else. I may even forget about the thing in the margin. It was maybe just for me to make a note and put it there so that I could think through it, the margin, unimportant, just scribbles, muted kind of things. The important part was in the the communication or the story that I was writing in the middle. And I think when we think about today the use of the word marginalized is those people that, that seemingly are just scribbles in society over here and they don't feel like they count. They don't feel like that they are included and they're, they're kind of excluded over there. And Jesus served people like that. In fact, in Mark chapter 5, it says this, that there was a, there's a woman who had an issue of blood, had this flow of blood for 12 years. In Mark 5, verse 25, verse 26, it says this, She had suffered many things from many physicians, and she had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. So she's given everything she's got trying to, trying to remedy her situation because her situation caused her to be excluded. She was kind of pushed aside. Her life was like just a scribble that didn't have meaning. And it said, when she heard about Jesus, aren't you glad that you heard about Jesus? When she heard about Jesus, she came behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. Some of the other other, uh, gospels will say the hem of his garment. In fact, she said, if I could only touch his clothes, I'll be made whole. I'll be made well. I'll be healed. Immediately, the fountain of her blood was dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of the affliction. And Jesus, immediately knowing that virtue had left his body, he turned around in the crowd and said, Who touched me? Who touched my clothes? But his disciples said to him, You see? They're like, Let me just help you where they're at. The Disciples are funny characters, aren't they? They're just funny. They look at Jesus. I mean, he's Jesus. And they're like, Jesus, there's a whole lot of people here. There's a crowd, there's a throng of people around here and you're asking, who touched me? And then he looked around to see her who had done this thing. But the woman, fearing and, and trembling, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. It's a powerful story. And just, just understand this, this woman, because of her condition, not because of what she had done, but because of what had happened to her, nothing that she could control, nothing that she had any any ability. She tried to change it. She tried to fix it. She spent all she had. She went to this doctor, to that doctor, to that doctor, and it only got worse. And then she heard about Jesus. Maybe in her mind, the Bible doesn't tell us this. We don't know the, the whole process of what she's dealing with. Maybe she thinks, will he touch me? And, and if I touch him, what will happen to me? Because she's, she's violating some stuff right there by what she's doing. But she presses in through the crowd. And Jesus could have said, he could have said, get out of here. Like, what are you, you doing? Why did you do that for? Don't you know what people could say? Don't you know what this could do for me? But instead, he meets her where she's at marginalized. He said, you're no longer in the margins. I know your story has been one that you've not wanted to tell people, but just know this, that it's going to be a platform for you to share from because I'm going to take the scribbles, the scribbles of your life, and it's going to be a beautiful story of what God does and how God serves the marginalized in our world. Jesus wasn't looking for just the nicest story when he came to this earth. He was looking for those people they were just scribbles in the margin. My 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 um my other granddaughter named Lucia hadn't planned on saying doing the granddaughter talk today, but but it's all I know. It's my life. Somebody say grandkids are the gifts you get for not the reward you get for not killing your kids. So anyways, anyways, our middle granddaughter's name, Lucia. She's three and a half. She was up here, she was bouncing before they started bouncing. Like she, like she was ready to go. She's like doing some little thing, you know? And, and Lucy, so you guys understand this that birth order is kind of important, the way it impacts us. Maybe you don't know that. Maybe you don't. You know, um, if you're firstborn, check this out. Parents, I'm going to help you see something you probably, you know, some of you maybe have never noticed. If you're firstborn, you take pictures of them doing everything. Then you post them on Facebook. Oh, look. He waved high and we're glad. But you're so excited about it when you're the when it's your firstborn. Second child comes along. They do some great achievement. And you're like, oh, okay. By the time the third gets here, you're so tired. Yeah, I knew I punished my first for that, but you know, whatever. We just let him. You want to go to the neighbor's house that I don't know? Okay, go ahead. First one, you didn't let them leave the yard, right? Because we parents parent different with different children, and there's different ways that they respond. And, and sometimes sometimes the middle kid feels like they're left out. And I notice that about Lucia. Sometimes she feels like she's a, sometimes it's, it's really happening, and sometimes she just assumes that it's happening, right? So maybe she knows how to use it for her advantage. I don't know, because she's very smart. Because you know how your grandkids are. They're the smartest grandkids of all, right? And so so Lucy, last night they were over, and I was watching her a little bit. She just just wasn't, you know, just in. So I went on my phone, and I found some pictures, just me and her. And I said, Lucy, look at this one. You remember this? And she doesn't remember because, you know, she's two or something, you know. I said, look at this. She started, after the third one, she's like smiling and all excited. And now she feels included. I and mean, what I'm saying is this, that, that for you and I, if we're going to serve like Jesus, we've got to look for those people in our life that are marginalized, that seem like they've been excluded, this, that feel like maybe they're just scribbles and, and their life doesn't count and say, you know what, I'm going to spend time so that you know that you're affirmed and that you know that your life is significant because with God, every life matters. How many know that? Doesn't, doesn't matter where you come from, what you've done, what you look like, what birth order you are, wherever you that he looks at every life and he says you got value. Jesus came to die, right? The Bible says this in John three sixteen that God gave his son, his only son, his only begotten son, because he loved the world. That means you and I, not because he liked the buildings and the trees and stuff. Maybe he's fond of those too, I don't know. But he loved you enough to give his only son. To give his only son. The other thing that Jesus did was, Jesus served the guilty. Now, I would say that it's important for you to understand that if you're going to serve like Jesus, you need to serve the guilty too. But it's also important for you to understand that all of us are have been guilty, right? In fact, in, in um John uh, chapter 8, they. They bring this woman, the religious leaders of the day, bring this woman to Jesus. Now, he's been on the Mount of Olives. Now he's in the temple, and he's teaching. And when, when Jesus is teaching, a crowd gathers. How many know that? When you see Every time it seems like he teaches, there's, people, people want to hear words of life. They're attracted to what Jesus. In like fact, Jesus is very attractional. You know that, don't you? I hear people sometimes say, well, you know, I like Jesus, but I don't know about the church. Because, because he is attractional, and maybe they had a bad experience, but just understand this, the church is his body, so you can't like him and not like the church, right? The church may have flawed people in it, people that don't, right? Maybe somebody hurt you or whatever, but just understand this, that the church is his body. So if you love Jesus, then you're going to love his church. You can't love just the head and not the body. And so people are attracted to Jesus, and here they are. They're camped out listening to him teach. They're in the temple. And then these religious leaders come in, and the Bible says this. Here's my paraphrasal. They're trying to trip up Jesus. And they bring a woman that's been caught in the act of adultery. So there's no discussion on is she guilty or not. She's guilty right at the start. She's guilty. She's done wrong. In fact, when it says they caught her in the act of adultery, um, that's language for you and I to hear to know, because we know this, adultery would take two to tango, right? It's not just one person, so there's been a man involved, but they didn't bring the man too. They didn't bring him along. I, I've been thinking about, but I may get in trouble, so I don't know if I'll do it, but I've been thinking about a, about a, a series or a book called Jesus the Ladies' Man. Because the way that Jesus encountered women brought an entire change on the way that the world there's still places in the world that do women wrong. But I want to tell you, you talk about breaking the glass ceiling for women, Jesus did it. Jesus, he gave him a spot at the table. He was kind. He was generous. He didn't ignore them. He didn't push them away. And here's this woman. They brought her, didn't bring the man. She's probably, we probably don't see it as graphically as it is. Probably she's naked or barely covered. They, and I don't know, I don't know if they, If they just busted into the room, I don't know, a weird kind of thing was going on, but somehow they caught her in the act. Are you reading what I'm saying? And they brought her there. And now there's this crowd of people, and the religious leaders have no doubt brought her in there, placed her there on the ground, and she's embarrassed and humiliated, and she's guilty. Now, Jesus could have said a lot of things. He could have said, go and sin no more right then. He saves that for later. What he does is if you don't know this story, I encourage you to read it John 8 first 11 verses of chapter 8 that he begins to because they they question him. They bring the law. It's amazing how they how they question the giver of the law with the law. Like Jesus, I know you don't know this. Jesus knew. And he never breaks the law at one point, at any point. And they said, you know, they start talking about him about her being stoned and the sin. And and Jesus gets down and he writes some stuff. Now, there have been preachers, I've done it, trying to figure out what he wrote. Probably, here's, a, here's my theological response, probably if the Holy Spirit wanted us to know what was written, he would have told us. So it may be futile to try to figure out what he wrote. And some, and some guys have made some good guesses, by the way. I think they're great guesses, but it's just guesses, right? He writes, and then he stands up and kind of in a confrontational way. You know, we, we love the loving Jesus, and I'm preaching about the loving Jesus, but Jesus was confrontational too. And he confronts those religious leaders there, and he gets down writes a little bit more, and then one by one, boom, 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 boom. They're gone. And he looks at the woman. He said, woman, talks about like, where, are, where are your accusers, and there's nobody. Who's condemning you? There's nobody. He said, neither do I condemn you, and he lifts her up. And he says, go and sin no more. She's guilty. The Bible offers no doubt about that. And now she's walking away free. She's walking away free with with this little caveat, go and sin no more. And the Greek word used for sin there is not just the sin she committed, but just sinning in general. Go and sin no more. And I, I think maybe she looked back at, That moment, there's no gospel song I think is fitting for this moment. When she she leaves, when she leaves that point, and maybe, maybe she looks back over her shoulder, I don't know, and she could have said, I've been lied on, cheated, talked about, mistreated, but as long as I got King Jesus, long as I got King Jesus, I don't need nobody else. Some of you, some of you could probably testify to the idea that you've been lied on, cheated, talked about, mistreated. But as long as I got King Jesus, right? She's had accusers, she's been humiliated, she's been in sin, and now she's walking away and she's looking, about Je- looking back at Jesus. Jesus offered her grace that nobody else was willing to offer her. He brought grace into her life that she'd never experienced before. And then he gave her the directive, the command, if you will, go and sin no more. You know why he didn't say that first? Because he let grace lead. Let grace lead and truth follow. Sometimes we feel so compelled to fix the wrong situation that we don't approach it with grace. If I want to serve the way that Jesus served, Jesus did this. He let grace go first. Let Grace go first. I was in a restaurant yesterday, Chewy's, Mexican place, and waiter came up. and man, He was a big guy. I feel like he's taller. I wasn't standing up, but felt like he's probably taller than me. young guy, and, and he had a T-shirt on, and, like, you could just see, like, the, the mounds of muscle on his chest and his arms, big arms, you know, and he walked up there. I wouldn't even try. I mean, it's just so visible that you could see this guy. He works out, you know. <laughs> kind of of like me. I'm playing. I'm playing. But the thing that I noticed secondly was he had his name tag. And on the name tag, it's so funny, the name was too long to go on there. So they put one part on top and one part on the bottom. His name was Christopher. And so it said Christ Ofer. And I said, Hey, man, I like your name tag. I'm thinking, I'm always looking for the end. I think, well, this is the end. We're going to talk about Jesus because, Lord, you gave me the sign. It's on his name tag. He said, yeah, it's funny. He, he said corporate, wherever they made these tags at, he said, they, that's the way they gave it to me. He said it wouldn't fit. He said, and I'm not religious. I said, well, you know, somehow he found out I was a pastor. I didn't tell him, I don't think, I can't remember, but, but he found out. And, and I said, I'm not religious either. Just trying to, right, I don't, I, I mean, I want to have a relationship with Jesus. Not, I'm not anti-religion by any stretch of the imagination, but I'm just saying, I, I want to come alongside and say, hey, I'm not. He said, well, I thought you was a pastor. I said, That's where I want you at. Because where I can share with you, Jesus with you, you got to get this guilt and, con- and condemnation and shame off of you so we can really talk. Because the Holy Spirit might want to bring Conviction. Check this out. Holy Spirit conviction will lead you to change the thing you're doing in your life, not just bring guilt and shame on you and condemnation. He's going to bring you to a place where you can can enter into a new place in life. The Bible says this, that he makes all things new. That's what he wants to do for Christopher. I said, you know what your name means, don't you? And he did, so then we could have a conversation. I'm looking for what God's going to do because we're going to have another meeting with this guy, but... I'm just saying this, that you got to enter with grace. That's how Jesus serves. you got to enter with grace. The other third thing, lastly this morning, is Jesus served the outcast. And if you're ever going to be in any way serving like Jesus, you've got to be able to serve the outcast. And by the way, it's not easy. In fact, in the Gospels, there's several times when Jesus went to people that were kind of cast out. I mentioned the man in the tombs, Gadara, earlier. I mean, he cut his flesh, broke the chains, took his clothes off. Just looks like an ugly kind of guy, you know what I mean? Nobody's going up saying, hey, I'd like to to tell you about Jesus. But Jesus, he enters, they can't help but come to him. Luke chapter 5 verse 12 says this, and it happened when Jesus was in a certain city that behold, a man who was full of leprosy saw Jesus and fell on his face and implored him, saying, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Then he put out his hand and touched him, saying, I am willing, be cleansed. Immediately the leprosy left him. This leper came to Jesus. And you got to understand, leprosy's uh, doctors that understand this say that the, the psychological impact of leprosy equal to or far greater than the physical impact of leprosy. We don't know much about leprosy in our world because we just don't encounter it. But if, if, if we did, it may look like something like this. Young guy, 32, working, working on his house, had a tool, notices there's like a blister here, doesn't think much about it. A couple days go by, instead of going away, it gets bigger. He watches it. It gets a little bigger. And so then one day he goes to his wife and says, honey, look at this on my, on my hand here. She's concerned, but she says, let's, let's just watch it for a few days. It doesn't diminish. Instead, it continues to increase. He's got a young family. They're concerned. So, so then his wife says, after she sees the increase, we need to get this to somebody that can look at this so we can find out what's going on. So they go down to the immediate care center, go to the doctor's office. They let the doctor take a look at it. He says, you know, we gotta, we gotta, we're going to have to keep you. Kind of watch this for a couple weeks. So you send the wife home, watches it over a couple weeks. And what happens is it continues to grow larger and larger. Finally, at the end of the two weeks, the doctor says to the, the man, he's, he says this. He said, it's unfortunate, but you've got leprosy. And because you've got leprosy, you can't be around your family any longer. And the man may say, as he's processing all this diagnosis, can, can I go to my family and just tell them goodbye? No, because there's a threat that they may catch away. You'll have to go to the camp to the center that's outside of town and be separated from everybody that you've known. The community that you lived in, your neighbors, your, your immediate family, the rest of your family, you have to be separated from them and put in this place because of the leprosy, the condition that you have now. You're going to be cast out of the community because of what you're dealing with. And what will happen is, in those situations in those days, maybe family would come and there'd be a rock somewhere and they'd place some food on it and then they'd back away and then he'd come and get the food and take it and eat it. and, And they'd do that over and over again, trying to help. He's covered, covered his face. Leprosy is a disease that attacks the nervous system and you lose feeling. And what can happen is, a guy like that could be sleeping by the campfire and his feet's too close and they get burned, and he doesn't feel it at all and sleeps through it, and the next day his foot has to be removed because of what's going on. That he could be cutting the food, the bread that they gave him, and cut his finger and his finger be gone, that his ears, his nose, his, the fingers and toes could, could fall. That this, this was such a debilitating disease physically, but on a psychological level. When they bring the food, there'd come a day when he wouldn't want them to see him any longer because of his disfigurement. And he'd live in that isolation in, in seemingly abandonment because of this condition, cast out. So this man comes to Jesus. The man is violating all kinds of stuff. Jesus never breaks the law. Some scholars look at this and say, well, this is a time when Jesus violated. No. Jesus hears the man, hears the plight of his life, and he reaches out and touches him. Now, if you touch a leper and they're a leper, well, you violated the law. But if you're Jesus and you touch a leper and he's no longer a leper, there's no violation. Are you with me? That Jesus hears this this outcast plea, and he reaches out and touches him and serves him instead of saying, listen, you need to get away from me. I don't want my ministry disrupted by what you're doing. I don't want to be connected. I don't want to be seen with you because of what might be said. Instead, Jesus moves in, and what we tend to do in our world, and I know we're not in India where they have a caste system, and there's these folks, and these folks, and these folks, and they don't mingle. I know that we're not there, but I think sometimes we have a system it's not spoken of in our society where if a person doesn't fit the mode or look like what I think they ought to look like or come from where I come from or they're not just like me that I kind of push them aside and cast them out. And I'm saying this, if we're ever going to serve like Jesus, you've got to go to the outcast and say, I want to serve you. I want to love on you. I want to share of my life with you. And that's what the apostle Paul said in 1 Thessalonians 2.8. He, he said this, "Be a, he said, so affectionately longing for you you were well pleased um, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of god but also our own lives because you had become so dear to us paul says i shared the good news the the big picture of what jesus has done the gospel but not only that i invested my life into your life because i cared for you deeply because I cared for you deeply. There's people in your life right now, and it may take a survey of looking at your relationships, who you're encountering. There's people right now in your life that are isolated, that are lonely, that feel like they've been abandoned. We just come through, and I guess we're still in it a little bit, 18 months of of people having to disconnect, pull away. I know people right now that are still locked down in their home. And we can try to figure out and debate, is that the way you ought to do or not do? That's not even the discussion. The discussion should be this. How can I reach out and touch them? And maybe it's not not a physical touch right now. How can I do something? And that's my encouragement for every one of you, my challenge, if you will. Look at your life, your sphere of influence, the people that, that you interact with, and who is it that looks marginalized? Maybe, maybe it's a, a cashier at the gas station. You may not even know their name. First step might might be getting their name. Maybe it's, maybe it's just sharing some kindness, some kind words. Saying, saying this, because right, I, was, I was telling the first service, we had individual here that, that ser- is involved in the service industry. And I told told my Medea story. You all know who Medea is? She's like a six-foot grandma lady. And this lady, uh, we were in McAllister's one evening, Kim and I, all of a sudden we hear this lady. I turned around and looked. She said, honey, I don't know if you need prayer or you need a hug, but you need to be nice. Talking to one of the people in there. Well, they're understaffed overworked It's our world right now. And I know she felt like she wasn't treated rightly. And so she's stepping into that. I just don't know how marginalized that person is that she's talking to. Are you with me? In Panera the other day, I don't go there very often, but I was in there. Now, just so you know, I wasn't in Joe's, I wasn't in the Dewdrop Inn or Joe's Tavern or some club somewhere. It's Panera. And they told me that a fight broke out the other night and they had to throw people out. Our world's in a rough place. People don't get along. People that disagree can't even talk. Let me help you. Just words, just wise counsel. There's no one person on earth, right? No two people, I'm sorry, that totally agree on everything, right? If you're married, you know what I'm talking about. Your spouse knows more than you. They got better ideas than you. I've learned that, appreciate. Kim thinks different than me sometimes. Sometimes I need to listen more. Are you with me? you men with me? People aren't always gonna agree with you. That don't mean that you castigate them and push them aside. Instead you do like Jesus. They didn't always agree with Jesus. Jesus just did this. Who do you need to do this to? Who's the person that's, that's hanging out in guilt and shame and can't see any light out of the tunnel they're in who's a person that's that's just a they've been cast out and, and because of what's going on in their life they just they feel like that everybody is looking at them and they have to pull away I'm saying stepping into their world and saying there's a God who makes all things new there's grace for your situation he's not asking you to get all that right before you come to him he's ready right now you can't get it right anyhow He wants to make it right for you.